Welcome to People Doing Physics, the podcast that explores the personal side of physics at the Cavendish Lab in the University of Cambridge. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bismuth and I'm a communicator here at the Cavendish. And I'm Jacob Butler and I work in the Outreach Office here at the Cavendish Lab. So we're doing things a bit differently this month, welcoming not one, but two guests in this episode of People Doing Physics. Suchitra Sebastian is a professor of physics at the Cavendish, but like Katz, she had more than a few lives before becoming a world-class scientist. And like Katz, she moves gracefully between very different worlds. It took time and a few twists and turns before a career in research became a conscious choice. And ever since, she's been finding ways to keep it interesting, fresh and fun for her. Since 2016, she's been the director of Cavendish Art Science, a program that seeks to question and explore material and material universes through a dialogue between the arts and sciences. Last autumn, the program appointed the artist Logan Dundridge, our second guest today, as the first Cavendish Art Science Fellow. Logan grew up in Richmond, Virginia in the 90s. To become a filmmaker whose work explores race, memory and time through sound and the moving image. Last January, Logan travelled all the way from Syracuse University in the state of New York, where he teaches films, to spend six months in Cambridge. Here, he is creating encounters with Cavendish physicists to make new work that grapples with questions of memory and reimagine futures. With Logan and Suchitra, we talk about personal awakenings, messing around and finding out things by chance, and seeking out intersections between words that don't necessarily collide. Stay with us. So welcome Suchitra, welcome Logan, thank you for being with us. Hey Vanessa. Yeah. Hey, thanks. So Suchitra, we said in the introduction that it took a few twists and turns and it was not a straight line into mm -hmm. physics. Um, can you tell us about what brought you to the Cavendish? Ah, to the Cavendish. Um, yeah, so my undergrad was in liberal arts in India at a women's college in India. Um, I then did an MBA. I went to business school. I was a management consultant for a bit. Um, yeah, because I enjoyed physics, but I didn't see physicists as very appealing or someone I wanted to become um, or that I resonated with. So I was sort of running away from physics, as it were, and was trying different things. So I did an MBA. I was a management consultant. Um, and then I decided I wanted to be a student again. So then I went to grad school in physics at Stanford. Um, yeah, I did, and I managed to do one third of my credits in theater when I was at Stanford. So I was still juggling worlds. Um, and yeah, I think it was only right at the end of my PhD that I started getting into physics. Until then, it was just something that was One of the things I was doing uh, in, in the course of being a student, um, protesting the war, doing theatre, um, yeah, doing all the various things one does as a student and physics was one of them. But I think it was only toward the end of my PhD that I actually realized that research was about discovering the unexpected. And it was very different from just solving a problem to which you knew what the answer was going to be, which had limited appeal, 
But when I actually realized the experiment I was doing, what came out of it was nothing like what I expected it to be. I suddenly got really excited about research and then physics became one of like the most unexpected adventures. And that was what actually kept me in physics. Um, and yeah, I think since then the idea has always been if it's fun and I'm enjoying it, then keep doing it. The moment it starts becoming something that is not something I'm doing because I enjoy it, but somehow some course I'm on that I'm meant to be doing, then stop, reset, or find something else fun to do. So yeah, that's what brought me over the seas to the Cavendish. And since then, yeah, it's actually been a really fun journey. And yeah, Cavendish Art Science was one of the ways of, yeah, bringing together the unexpected adventures in science with unexpected journeys in arts and bringing the two together to explore new worlds, as it mm. were. So yeah, I've really appreciated the freedom I have at the Cavendish to like explore all these interesting avenues and yeah, meet interesting people along the way, like Logan. Well, we'll come to that in a bit later, yeah. So uh, to go back to your research in physics, uh, a reporter once wrote that you were a fringe physicist who liked to venture into the borderlands between forms of matter that other physicists have already, already explored. What kind of matter are we talking about here? So I work in an area called condensed matter. So basically materials around us, or the materials that we encounter, are made up of 10 to the power of 23 electrons, so trillion, trillions of electrons. And when these interact together, the collective forms that emerge are very different from individual electrons. Um, so just as an example of something we're familiar with, so say murmurations of birds, um, each individual um, body, uh, sort of swallow in flight as it were, is very different from the collective. And the collective forms and reforms these kinds of uh, self-organized shapes and bodies. And it's a little bit like that, what I'm looking at, the idea of a collective of a trillion, trillion electrons emerging into a quantum um, collective phase, as it were, which is very different from individual electrons. And so what I'm trying to do is to discover new phases, so new collective forms of matter that haven't been discovered before. Um, a practical example, so this may seem like quite abstract, but a practical example is superconductivity. Um, so superconductivity is a collection of trillion, trillion electrons. When um, the electrons are on their own, they bump into each other, they lose energy in the traveling through, um, say, one end of a wire to the other. Um, but when you have a material that becomes a superconducting phase of matter, that means all of the electrons lock together quantum in a quantum way, so they form a giant quantum wave, and now they no longer bump into each other, but they all travel in a collective lockstep form. And when you have that kind of behavior, you have zero loss of energy as you flow from, say, one end of a superconducting wire to the other end. Um, but you have to cool down special materials known as superconductors, and at some temperature known as a superconducting temperature, this almost sort of magical um, quantum coherence happens when all of these electrons begin to see each other and act as a coordinated whole. So, for example, if you had an MRI done, 
a superconducting magnet is what you put your head into. So it's actually a quantum phenomena you can touch and feel, and it's not just something that's in the laboratory, or it's CERN, sort of an 18-kilometer <laughs> large superconducting ring, and that's made up of trillions of trillions of electrons all in this quantum coherent um, giant wave that every single electron across that 18-kilometer diameter is in lockstep with every single other electron. So that's a phase we know. How much we understand is a different question, but it's more familiar. Um, what I'm trying to do is discover new and exotic forms. And we know there's trillion, trillion electrons. They can form all kinds of exotic phases of matter we haven't even imagined. And so what I'm trying to do is do experiments, go to very low temperatures, um, high magnetic fields, high pressures. So it's almost like we're in a different universe where these trillion trillions of electrons form into different collective forms of matter that we haven't even conceived of before. Oh, that's fascinating. And quite a shift from the view of physics as being sort of reducing things down to their single Absolutely. constituents and trying to break them up. So on top of your academic career and your research, um, you're very active in the arts. Um, you perform on theatre stages and at fringe festivals. Um, you co-founded theatre and film companies and you're the director of the Cavendish Arts Programme, Art Science Programme, sorry. Um, when do you sleep? <laughs> but no, but more seriously, um, you say the art is a way of broaching physics as well. So how does it translate into your science? Um, yeah, so I think if I were to do only physics, I would not be a physicist. Um, I think I actually um, really enjoy exploring, I guess, different, um, yeah, different forms of expression. Um, and I think that physics is great. One does measurements, one thinks about things. Um, it's often quite cerebral. And I need to have like other ways of approaching the world. And I think all forms of exploration, whether it be the sciences, art, the humanities, they're all different ways of knowing the world um, by approaching it using sort of different faculties, as it were. Um, and for me, doing theatre is um, a very tangible way of being in the world and knowing it, as it were. Um, and I actually find it more challenging than doing physics. Um, so physics, you can do a thought experiment. Now, when you actually do the experiment, it's often very different from the thought experiment. But you can get a certain way by thinking a thing. In theater, you can't think through a scene and go perform it the way you thought it through. It would be terrible. Um, you actually have to be present and respond to everything that's happening around you. So that way of being present in the world, as it were, but in a very um, heightened way when you're on a stage performing. Um, and I think that sort of being present, being attuned to the world is also something I bring to experiment. So when one does experiment, it's really important not to have a preconceived notion of this is what's going to happen 
and then look for the thing that's going to happen to the exclusion of what is actually happening. Um, and so I think the being attuned to whatever it is you're observing, whatever it is you're encountering, to me is at the heart of making discoveries. And whatever it is, whether it's art in the form of theater, whether it's science, it's all about encountering the world around you, being moved by it, and arriving in a discovery by being in it, encountering it, and seeing what it's actually telling you, as opposed to you coming to it with your idea of what's going to happen and imposing that, as it were. And so for that reason, I think, for me, there's no... Um, it's the same way of approaching all of these things in a very experimental, practice-led or experiment-led way. And it is very much a stepping out into an area of not being comfortable. So I think our area of comfort is that which we know and what we're familiar with, and it's safe. But I think whether it's theater, whether it's physics, or whether it's travel, I also travel like to like wild, unexplored <laughs> ends of the world. Um, but it's always this idea of looking to see what happens and stepping out where it's a little scary and you don't know what will happen. But the putting yourself out there is a practice you need to become accustomed to that is constantly a little scary and you don't know what will happen. But that's the only way you can encounter the radically new. Uh, so why Cavendish art science? Did you, did you see a need for something else, something different in the art science spectrum? Yeah, so um, I think for most of whatever I did, so like I was saying at Stanford, I did one third of my credits in theatre and in um, Cambridge, um, my friend and I founded um, Bread Theatre and Film Company, which does sort of experimental theatre that explores new art forms, um, international uh, art forms, etc. But these worlds were always quite separate. And I was like, okay, now I'll go to physics and now I'm going to go to theatre because I was always resistant to this in-between space that I've seen quite a bit which has like a little bit of science and a little bit of art and is not really pushing the boundary in either, but is somehow falling in the space in between. And so I was like, I never want to be in that space. I'm going to do these th two things as like different things I explore. Um, but yeah, so my labs in the Cavendish moved to the Maxwell Center. And that was, yeah, actually 2016 was when the Maxwell Center opened. Um, and it's a really beautiful space with a lot of glass and the idea of porousness being open to outside um, influences. And so one of the things that was already being explored was connections between academia and industry and the idea of not being an insular um, sort of ivory tower type place where some magical thing is happening within the four walls that is in some way cordoned off from anyone on, uh, to, uh, on the outside. And the idea with the Maxwell Centers was to have it more porous and open and have more interface between, uh, say, academia and industry. And yeah, I think I began to think about that with relation to science and the arts, as it were. So performing art and uh, different um, art practices. And 
it was an experiment <laughs> like all the others it was not an experiment I was comfortable with but I wanted to do it because it was a little scary and I wanted to see what would happen if we brought together exceptional art practitioners and um, physicists who were at the cutting edge of what they were doing and trying to have this dialogue or provocation and interface at the highest level to see whether it was possible to create the same kind of cutting edge, exciting exploratory um, forms of encounter between art and science and encounter with the world through both approaches of art and science without sort of falling in the middle and being neither one nor the mm. other. So, um, yeah, I wanted to do this experiment to see what happened. And it was possible it might be interesting or it was possible it might be terrible. And I would not do that again. So I really didn't know what would happen. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that was really an experiment in bringing the two together. Um, and, yeah, that was how Cavendish Art Science came into existence. And it was very much a pilot. Mm. Um, but yeah, it turned out really exciting and I learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot. But the, yeah, that was the beginning. That's really interesting, especially because uh, nowadays lots of people seem to see art and science as being diametrically opposed. And even though historically that's not really been the case. I mean, you go back to the polymaths of the Islamic Golden Age through to the Renaissance and uh, you know, Vienna at the turn of the century. You had scientists and artists sitting in the same coffee shops, attending the same lectures and hopefully being inspired by one another. But I was wondering, for anyone who's a little bit doubtful about the sort of benefits of sci-art and that sort of cross-pollination, I was wondering what, what you see those benefits as as a scientist, a teacher, and uh, Logan as an artist. What, uh, what you see as uh, being a sort of benefit to crossing that divide from the other direction. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'm happy to, to take a, a stab at it. Um, I mean, I would say that the idea that you're engaging with something different and having an opportunity to learn and grow, you know, I mean, the thing I think is the most interesting about this idea of experimentation is that you're, you're stepping out into an unknown area in your practice and you're trying to uh, trying to perceive and trying to receive you know different different types of, of intrigue and information and it's it's a there's there's like a level of fear to it I mean like going out and being incredibly vulnerable but without taking those types of, of leaps you know you're not able to move your yourself and your work forward so that to me I think is central to to all of this. That's fascinating. I mean, I think one thing you don't think of when you think of arts is experimentation in the sort of scientific sense, do you? But it seems like, from what you're saying, it echoes quite a bit of first Citrus approach to her science. Yeah, I think for me personally, I've always been, I don't know, somewhat defiant. Like, obviously, <laughs> I think tradition is really important. Um, but this idea of, of, of pushing back, of looking for more, of trying to expand continuously, I mean, so many of the artists and musicians and writers that I'm heavily influenced by are continuously seeking to look outwards and maybe also to use this type of experimentation to find something different within themselves and without having that you know ability to kind of push past tradition I don't think you're able to kind of achieve that that type of complexion in your work yeah absolutely I think that is um as I was mentioning that kind of taking yourself out of your comfort zone and exploring new ways of knowing. And I think one of the things we're pushing against is this idea of sort of, um, yeah, the, the Platonistic way of knowing where the cerebral way of knowing is the most pure 
and other ways are sort of just putting the flesh on the bones as it were but we're saying that actually doing art is a way of knowing just like doing a measurement writing an equation is a way of knowing practicing art is a way of knowing the world and it is knowing the world in different ways is the only way to be in it fully and to um yeah to explore and broaden and being in it i think is the only way of being able to um yeah begin to imagine and create and know as it were and i don't think this would be possible in just a cerebral measurement sense and in that way i think immersing um the physicists with ways of art practice and art knowing is yeah a really powerful way i think of opening up um yeah opening up frontiers and really pushing boundaries oh, i say i mean it's a much deeper sort of interconnectedness between art and science i think there than as you mentioned a lot of other things that seem to end up neither being in quite in quite sitting in each camp We now take a break from the interview to talk about the research news coming out of the Cavendish. This month's news is all about quantum. Researchers at the Cavendish in collaboration with the University of Technology Sydney in Australia have shown that a two-dimensional material, hexagonal boron nitride, could be used to store quantum information at room temperature. The work, published in the journal Nature Communications, was led by Dr. Hannah Stern, Dr. John Jarman and Dr. Kyushi Gu in the group of Professor Mete Atature. And it turns out that our co-host, Simone, was also involved in the work. Simone, can you give us a bit of uh, context for these exciting results? Of course. So physicists and engineers across the world are working to develop quantum technologies, such as quantum computers or quantum sensors or quantum networks. And these will let us process information in a completely new way to the way our classical technologies work now. And so a lot of work is going into developing optical quantum communication technologies as well so that we can send and receive quantum information using light. To do this, we need to be able to use light to encode and read out specific quantum properties of individual particles, such as molecules, ions, or atoms. Right. We know that light is made out of tiny discrete packets called photons. That's what could be used to carry quantum information across communication networks? Exactly. So to make a network, we need to be able to send information store it somewhere and then retrieve it sometime later and then send it to the next node. And the way would be, we would be doing that would be by sending single particles of light between these different nodes in our network. And this is where your research comes into play because if I understand correctly, uh, you showed that this 2D material, um, hexagonal boron nitride, has isolated defects that can be manipulated with single photons and then could act as those little storage units that you need. Um, so that's what physicists call qubits, which is a portmanteau of the words quantum and, and bits, the unit of information in computers. Uh, your research showed that you can access the electron spin or intrinsic angular momentum of these defects using light, right? Precisely. And this is really exciting and it's the first demonstration of single qubits in a two-dimensional material being accessed at room temperature using light. 
And so although optically active spin qubits exist in other materials, such as diamond or silicon carbide, which is our, you know, obviously like really big um, bulk three-dimensional materials, this two-dimensional material could offer advantages in the terms of scalability because of the way that it's grown and also new functionalities thanks to the fact that it's so thin as well. And there is also another big advantage, which is the fact that you could use these qubits at room temperature. Uh, normally, you would need to cool down the material to very low temperatures to access quantum properties. Yeah, so the room temperature part is particularly exciting because if we want in quantum information processing to be scalable and work you know, in, in real-world devices, it'd be great if we didn't have to use expensive and very complicated cooling equipment. And so the current platforms, the material platforms that exist to do these things um, only work well at low temperatures. So even though they work at room temperature, the best performance is when you cool down. So the fact that this material already shows these properties at room temperature is a great start because it means that we can build on that, improve it in the future, and, and hopefully um, use it for room temperature quantum applications. That's all very exciting. Thanks, Simone, for these clarifications. We will uh, put the link to the paper in the show notes of the podcast, so uh, please go ahead and have a look if you want to know more. And we're back with Suchitra Sebastian, Professor of Physics at the Cavendish Laboratory, and American artist Logan Dendridge, who was recently appointed to the first year-long Cavendish Art Science Fellowship at Girton College. So, Logan, can you tell us a bit about you? Where do you come from? How would you define your art practice in a few words? Yeah, sure. Um, originally, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Um, uh, actually by way of a smaller town called Ashland that uh, it's funny they call it the center of the universe which I'm <laughs> not sure is quite accurate but something that they kind of claim and I, I assume I also claim it. Um, I, I got started with photography with an interesting kind of uh, somewhat like uh, tragic uh, decision. I was kind of one of those kids that always was, had a basketball in my hand either that or I was like one of those skateboarding kids. But when I was in high school, I tore my ACL. And it was kind of a moment where I had to decide, you know, what else is really going to fuel me, you know, creatively. And that's kind of the time I picked up a camera. Um, and that kind of led me to uh, studying photography and studying filmmaking, uh, where I went to college at University of Virginia. Um, and then I kind of moved around quite a bit in between there and when I decided to, to go to grad school um, at Oxford. Um, so I was there for a year where I focused pretty heavily on the moving image and focused um, on different sorts of documentary making. And, and I was, again, really heavily thinking about experimentation. And so yeah, I would consider myself a moving image artist, curious about the boundaries between the visible world uh, and how that intersects with uh, black history and, and certainly thinking about black history from an ontological perspective, if possible. Um, and, and thinking about, yeah, different ways that that can manifest itself in my work. Um, but, yeah, so you said that you started with photography and then went on to films. Um, what made you, in the end, choose films over all your other med mediums? Um, I think there's, there's something really beautiful about moving images. I mean, I suppose there's something about it that just really intrigues me. You know, it's one of my favorite poet said that it's sculpture and painting happening in real time. And I think that's a really, yeah, curious way of thinking about moving image. And, you know, it's something about film that's always spoken to me. I mean, I'm kind of like a student of the hip hop generation. So I grew up watching music videos 
and seeing, you know, folks that looked like me express themselves, you know, quite polemically and, and beautifully. And so I think my work kind of relates to that, to that background. And um, in some ways, when I'm making films, it's like the, it feels like the truest version of myself. You know, it feels like somehow I can connect to something deeper, something other, something ancestral. Um, and, and that's always been a really pleasing uh, relationship to, to have with my practice. Who's your, who's your favorite poet? For the interest of our listeners, <laughs> it's a very hard. <laughs> no, no, but you said you said my um, favorite poem poet said. Yeah, uh, Linton Coisey Johnson is one of my favorite poets. Um, he's like a progenitor of dub poetry, which is a really radical expressionist uh, form that, in some ways, is also very experimental and it's kind of pushing against tradition and you know what it means to speak in this rhythmic way. Um, that's a hard question though because I have so <laughs> many favorites. That's okay. <laughs> So you've not engaged with the scientists before. What drew you to this particular placement and, uh, and what drew you to the Cavendish, if anything? Um, you know, artists are always looking for different opportunities that intrigue them. You know, I think just in a way of survival, I suppose, and just trying to, to find ways of extending their practice. You know, and when I first read the open call, it's kind of this element of, of vulnerability. I mean, there's a certain fear in stepping out into uh, a vocation that you've never, you know, had any any experience with, and um, I was pretty excited with that opportunity, just with the idea of being able to have like real conversations with with folks that live in a world that I I don't identify with, you know. Um, I, I don't know if there was anything too too conscious about that decision. Yeah, it was just I was I was led by the intrigue and the open call, and and led by. And another opportunity to, to be back in England, um, you know, having interesting conversations with, with folks that, that really know their subjects. Okay. And uh, how is it compared to your sort of expectations actually being here and actually talking to those scientists? <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been different than what I expected. Yeah, I have to say um, in, in a beautiful way, but also <laughs> in a way that's that's challenging, you know. Uh, this is an incredibly ambitious venture, and I've definitely been put in the position to to extend my practice in ways that I would have never thought possible. And I think that is, you know, at the center of this of this uh, fellowship. And I mean, that alone is is such a such a beautiful and delicate balance to be playing in as an artist. Um, and and you know, certainly having conversations with folks about things that are well beyond uh, my level of, of expertise is also, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a, a, an interesting learning curve, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah. But so, you, so you're spending most of your time here in Cambridge talking to those scientists, those physicists. Um, and so are you looking for something specific in your explorations? And in these encounters, are you really coming with a very open mind and leaving I'm, it to? I'm I'm looking. Um, there's there's an idea that one of my favorite poets, Amiri Baraka, talks about this idea of Afro surrealism, and he describes it as, uh, you know, beyond the visible world, there's an invisible world that's trying to manifest itself, and and it's the the search for that world that I think is such an interesting area to consider as it relates to my own practice. So in some of the conversations I'm having, 
I'm thinking about that idea. I'm thinking about the invisible world. I'm thinking about this boundary between, you know, invisibility and vision in, the, in this boundary uh, becoming something I can, I can realize. Um, I don't know if I'm always so deliberate in the way that I approach conversations. It's often quite fluid. It's let's sit down. I'd like to get a bit more context about what you study and, and how you interrogate things within physics. Um, and certainly learning a bit more about the strategies that they use to question and kind of design the types of simulations and observations that are necessary for them to achieve their work. Uh, but it's frequently just quite open and I, I like to just let the conversation uh, flow naturally. And, and that's, yeah, served me well, I think, since I've been here and I'm going to continue to do that um, in, unless something else kind of occurs. But. So, uh, Sajitra, the programme aims to bring the science and arts together to help us examine the world and our place within it. So how is this becoming a tangible thing? And when would we like to see some sort of uh, physical consequences of this, uh, this new programme? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think um, what we're looking for from the programme, this is the sort of first year. So we had the pilot exhibition, which I mentioned at the inauguration of the Maxwell Centre. And since then... Um, we've had uh, the generous support of um, Una Ryan, who's made this um, more extended program possible. Um, and I think um, already in our first year, we are, we're learning a lot. And I think our ideas of what we expect from the program is continuously evolving. Um, so, yeah, I think actually, like Logan was talking about, um, yeah, in both senses, having the signs really impact and change um, the artist practice with whom we're engaging, like that's incredibly powerful. Um, and in the same way, kind of taking scientists back to what are they exploring? Like, what are the questions they're asking? And have having conversations with the artists and the art impact how they think about what they're doing and not just in a technical sense that we go into lab, turn on the machine, it does what it does, and kind of, um, in some sense, re-sparking the engagement with the universe that sort of made them go into physics in the first place. Like, what are we looking at? So in a fundamental level of impacting the practice of both the artists and the scientists, that's one of the things we're looking to come out of it. Um, another is we're actually looking for it to bring people together and bring different perspectives to it. Um, because I think when we're in our technical silos, whether as physicists or as artists, saying like, this is sort of, you know, the type of art I do, or this is the type of physics I do, and being in our little worlds doing these things, I think by bringing together artists and scientists in this conversation that in some ways lifts us out of those silos, I think that's a really powerful way of um, asking questions and having those questions um, provoke new ideas, new thoughts, and through that, build connections between people and build community in some sense through that process of exploration. So that's something that, yeah, I've already seen um, sort of come into existence through Logan's stay here and having him talk to people and just, um, yeah, new spaces open up that didn't exist when it was just a siloed technical exploration, which it can become. And I think 
this is one of those things that actually like shatters those silos and create spaces which didn't exist before. And I think that's like one of the um, really exciting outcomes we're looking at from the program. And then of course, we're looking to have new work, which um, Logan will be engaging with us both in sort of work that's in progress and building towards actually as part of the Cambridge Festival. Um, Logan will be showing some of his work in progress and building towards that. And I think it's very much like a collaborative, engaged um, process of engaging with the scientists and the work and the practice. I think there is the outcome, which will be um, the art. But I think part of the outcome is that engagement. I don't think that's just sort of along the way in getting to some goal, which is a finished product. I think the engagement with the scientists is between the artists and the scientists is itself part of this new space, this new um, material creation that we are bringing into existence that didn't exist before. And I think, yeah, it's really important to think of that as part of what we're creating and not just like one of the tools in taking us to some outcome at the end. So you're taking people that see themselves as individuals and combine them together to see what emerges when you get a absolutely. collective entertainment between <laughs> <Yep>. them. <laughs> absolutely. And unexpected collective outcomes. Yeah, brilliant. But we'll finish with one question for you, Logan. So um, do you have any idea what, what kind of art form your work will take at this stage? Um, one of the questions that I've been kind of going back and forth with throughout this process has been um, how many black futures will end before they begin. Um, so it relates to this idea uh, that Christina Sharp has brought up about the wake. And so there's, um, you know, something theoretical that, that relates to the, the trauma that, that black people experience and face, um, you know, whether trauma is inherited, you know, how it moves through space and time. Um, you know, as a filmmaker, I you know, I could say that there would be something related to the moving image in, in what comes out of it. But the thing I, again, I think that's so amazing about this fellowship is that the endpoint isn't prescriptive, you know, that I kind of have the ability to be flexible and, and mm -hmm. think about new, new forms, you know, that could emerge. So it could be something sculptural. Um, it could be some sort of installation that, that engages with, with video or animation. Um, it's hard to say at this point, you know, I don't want to, uh, lock myself in. I, I like the idea of, of continuing to kind of dance in the in-between. Well, we're very much looking forward to see where that goes in any shape or form. Thank you very much, both of you, for being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if you've been intrigued by this, you can also come and speak to Suchita and Logan during the Cambridge Festival events we're holding here at the Cavendish Laboratory. So that's Saturday the 9th of April and tickets are available now. So thank you to our guests, Sajidra Sebastian and Logan Dandridge, for being with us today, and to our producer Chris for this episode. The news was brought to you by Simone and Paolo. We've popped in the links to the Cavendish Art Science website and some of Logan's previous work in the show notes. If you want to learn more about what's been discussed in this episode, or want to join us to study with us in Cavendish, go to www.phy.cam.ac.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to People Doing Physics. If you like this podcast, please subscribe or leave us a review. We would love to put your questions to our team of physicists. 
Send us your most pressing ones on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag people doing physics. You can also email us at podcast at phy.cam.ac.uk. We'll be back next month. Until then, take care.